good morning, church. That was good. You guys are so much better at this than the nine o'clock people. Hey, so welcome to week number three of our teaching series here at Fork, um, based on the book of First Peter. We have called this teaching series a living hope, and it's taken from a phrase that we find um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It's from the New International Version, where Peter writes these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What a great reminder that our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection changes everything. In case you missed it, in the last couple of weeks, um, we jumped into this series. Um, You can check it out on our our website, fortchristian.org. Just go to our latest messages. But I'll give you a quick recap. So week one, we talked about Peter. We met this man who wrote these words to us. And we learned a little bit about his audience, a scattered and a persecuted bunch of believers. And we learned that... um, Peter was trying to encourage them, seeking to remind them that because of the resurrection of Jesus, not only can they live in confidence of a new hope and a new life, he was reminding his listeners that they could live boldly and joyfully, even in the midst of their trials, the trials and struggles of life. And we were reminded that we too can live that way. Now, last week, Ben Cantler, our student pastor, who always challenges me when he speaks, he dropped the question, what does it mean to be the church? And then he went on through his teaching, and he reminded us that we're not just to be about getting rid of sin in our lives, but that we are to crave spiritual maturity, that we are to want it like a deep-seated hunger. And this morning, we're going to be continuing in chapter 2 of the book of 1 Peter, where Peter begins verse 13 with these words, submit to all human authority. Submit to all human authority. Listen, when we think about our relationship with God, we think of our relationship with other people, let's be honest, nobody really likes the idea of submission, In fact, I had somebody come up to me after the earlier service. They said, as soon as you said submission, they're thinking, oh, what a dirty word. Like nobody likes to hear about submission. I mean, do any of us really like to be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it? Nobody's shaking their head yes. I think we're all in agreement. Like I think that sometimes as far as submission goes, we would argue that submission doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, It's my rights. It's my life. It's my choice. Why should I throw my hands up and surrender to anybody else? Especially when it comes to those who have authority over us in a legal or political or governing sense, telling us what we can do and what we can't do. I mean, seriously, whether it's paying our taxes or obeying the posted speed limit signs, or not putting greasy pizza boxes in the recycling? Or what about that whole thing where we're supposed to put this thing on and pull it down over our ears, and it's got kind of a strap on it, and it's supposed to, you know, protect us? What's it, what's it called? A mask? No, it's called a motorcycle helmet, right? Some people don't like wearing these things. 
Think about it, though. If we don't like the person in office, or we don't like the political party that they come from, we don't like the rules that they make or the laws that they enforce, especially those rules that don't agree with our particular lifestyle, or they interfere with our, con in they interfere with our convenience, right? We're pretty reluctant to honor them, to submit to them, to stick with them, to stick with those rules. But Peter says, submit to all human authority. Sometimes I think uh, as people, and especially as Christians, we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what submission is. And more than that, I think that we, especially as Christians, have a misunderstanding of why we should submit, why we need to submit. You see, submission does not equal agreement. Submission doesn't equal agreement. I mean, if I agree with you about everything, what am I really submitting to? What am I surrendering? What am I giving up? Right? Agreement is when you walk into a staff meeting and somebody proposes an idea and everybody is unanimously in favor of it and we all walk out smiling, right? That's agreement. That's not submission. If we're told to submit to our masters or to the authorities over us, the implication is that we're not always going to agree with them. We're not always going to want to do whatever it is that they want us to do. But submission means giving up my rights or my perceived rights, right? The truth is, though, we never fully submit to somebody until we do what they want us to do and we don't agree with it. That's submission. Before we dive further into our text this morning to hear what Peter has to say, I want to share some, some real-life submission stories with you to see if maybe you can relate, because I think there's some lessons in there for us. The first story is about mixed martial arts. Are there any MMA fans in this room? Yes, thank you. The other service, like, nope. <laughs> so let me just, if you're not an MMA fan, it's, it's fighting, right? It's mixed martial arts. It's fighting, right? Two opponents in a ring together. But see, the whole idea behind MMA is that somebody has to submit to another person. There's three basic ways that those, that those fights can be won. One is that when the fighters fight, they fight through the entire number of rounds that they have set. And then a judge makes a decision about who beat the other guy into submission or other gal into submission more often throughout the fight than the other. They are declared the winner. The second way, main way that people win in an MMA fight is uh, the ultimate submission where they knock the other person out or they score a technical knockout, right? The third way that uh, is the main way that, can, that people can win those MMA fights is to put somebody into a submissive hold, a submission hold that causes them so much bodily pain or so much risk of bodily injury or so much lack of oxygen that that person is forced to submit or tap out, right? You've all seen the t-shirts and things that say tap out. That's, I submit, I quit, stop, you're going to hurt me, right? We're done, I'm done, I submit to you, right? So that's what we do. So Michael Chandler is a UFC MMA fighter, and the first time I ever heard of him was back in 2013. I'm friends with his cousin, and his cousin said, hey, let's watch my cousin on this pay-per-view event. So that night, Chandler beat his opponent, Rick Hahn, and he forced him to tap out or submit by using something called a rear naked chokehold. You can look it up. There's nothing bad about that. It sounds crazy, but yeah, so it's a submission hold. Chandler won that fight. Next story, my brother Vernon. He's not an MMA fighter. He's a year and a half older than me. And growing up, we weren't particularly close, 
right? As most brothers, well, as brothers often aren't, we didn't have a lot of things in common. In fact, the older we got, the more different we became. And the more, well, the less we got along. In fact, when my brother was hanging out with his friends, who I didn't like very much, my brother became, well, even more annoying than when he wasn't with his friends. So we have this situation coming. Well, let me clarify first. I'm not saying I was a perfect little brother. In fact, I was probably much more the annoying little brother than I want to give myself credit for, but that's a whole other story for a whole other sermon. But there was this time when we were in high school, right? He's a year and a half older than me. He's hanging out with his friends. I needed to get a message to him. Now, I know some of you will find this hard to believe, but when I was in high school, we didn't have cell phones. So I couldn't just call anybody up, right? I literally had to get in my car and drive to where he was at to deliver the message. Now, this part of the story, I don't remember. I don't know what happened. But somewhere in delivering this message to my brother, we ended up fighting in this front yard of one of his buddies, right? We're we're like rolling on the ground fighting. Now, my brother's bigger than me, but I knew that I could take him. But I knew that if I was going to take him in this fight, that I would have to hurt him, and I would have to hurt him bad. And he's my brother, and I didn't want to do that. So even though he's bigger than me, I'm smarter than him. So somewhere in the middle of that fight, I started negotiating with him. I'm like, hey, dude, we're going to either hurt each other really bad or we're going to have to stop this thing. We're going to have to shut it down. So we called a truce. He went back with his buds. I get in my Mustang. I drive away, right? Next story, grade school. Me, Todd Rose, John Murray, Ricky Rudisill. We're playing football in Ricky's yard. Ricky lived right across the street from me. Backyard football at Ricky's house, common thing, right? We did it all the time. This one particular event, we'd finished playing. I remember laying on the grass, staring up at the sky, you know, on my back, just hanging out. And the next thing I know, Ricky has taken this dirt-covered piece of gravel, and he drops it in my mouth. Listen. I still can feel the grit of that dirt. I can feel what that rock felt like when it hit my mouth. I can taste the dirt. And I got up, and I spit that dirty rock out right onto Ricky. Next thing I know, it is a massive 10-year-old arms and legs rolling around the backyard fighting. And it sounds like I fought a lot when I was a kid. I really did it, like twice. That's the only times I can remember fighting. But we are fighting in the backyard. I don't know how long Ricky and I would have fought if Ricky's dad hadn't come to the back door and yelled, Ricky, get inside. Virgil, get on home. Fight over, right? Fight over. We did. These stories seem kind of trivial, maybe kind of dumb, but that's okay. They're just really, you know, random memories from years gone by, from moments gone by, but they remind me of some important truths about submission. And the first one is, sometimes we submit because we are physically forced to. Sometimes we submit because we're physically forced to. Sometimes in life we give up because some fighting beast like Michael Chandler has us in a rear naked chokehold, and we've just got to tap out. And sometimes, though, we submit so we don't hurt another person. Sometimes we choose to give up for somebody else's benefit, to make them happy, to save them from grief. The fight with my brother could have certainly ended much worse. And sometimes we submit to stay out of trouble, or at least to stay out of worse trouble, right? Ricky and I, I don't think either one of us got in trouble for fighting, but I assure you, if we'd not listened to Ricky's dad, we'd have both been in trouble, right? If we hadn't submitted to Mr. Rudisill. 
Now, I believe that these are all great truths regarding submission, right? But the greatest truth that I learn about submission doesn't come from any of these three memories of my past. The greatest truth about submission I know is one that Peter writes about in his letter of 1 Peter. See, I believe that this submission story that we're getting ready to hear, it, it bears a truth that we would do well to use as an anchor point uh, for our lives, that we would use it as a motivation check when we're thinking about why we're doing what we're doing, that we would, well, that we would use it as a sounding board to bounce it off of when we're wanting to do things our way, when we're wanting to demand our own rights. And the truth is, sometimes we submit because it is the Christ-honoring thing to do. We submit because it's the Christ-honoring thing to do. Mark Twain once said, It is not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. And I think this whole idea of submitting that Peter writes might fit that saying perfectly. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 if you've got your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. Now, I'm going to read through this story nice and slowly. Because I think these words need to hit our brains and have a moment to sink in. And if you came in this morning knowing that you struggle with submission in your own life, I guarantee you these words will make you uncomfortable. They'll make you uneasy. Perhaps you'll be annoyed by them. I know that sometimes when I read these words, I am. These words are not difficult to understand. They're just difficult to apply to our lives. 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Sometimes we read through Scripture and we just kind of fly through it really, really fast. And sometimes we need to take some moment and let it sink in. When I read these words, I start thinking that, but when I think about life and relationships, I know that none of us really want to submit because we're forced to. Rarely do we ever want to naturally submit to someone for somebody else's good. And we think about life and relationships, we don't always want to surrender just to keep ourselves out of trouble, right? We just kind of hope we don't get caught most times. Uh, but for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we should want to submit because it is the Christ-honoring thing to do. 
Let me say that one more time. For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we should want to submit because it is the Christ-honoring thing to do. Peter writes in lots of instruction in these few short chapters, but we're going to remind you that whether it's about enduring our trials or whether it's setting aside our sin or whether it's submitting to those in authority like Peter's talking about in his letter, if we approach those things incorrectly, it can become this legalistic mess, right? We can just get caught up in an idea that this is another set of rules we have to follow, another box that we have to check off. We can easily get caught up in this idea of submission. Well, what exactly does that look like? Is this submission? Is that submission? Is this not submission? Is that not submission, right? Instead, we can get caught up of, instead of getting caught up in trying to figure out, well, is this, is this a submission thing? Is why are we doing it? Why do we submit? What's our motivation? And I think that as we read the text, we should ask ourselves, if I'm a follower of Christ, well, why should I submit to those who are in authority? That's the bottom line question. Why should I submit to those who are in authority? Well, with that question in mind, let's go back a few verses. Let's go back to verse 13, where Peter writes, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether as king, as head of state, or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Verse 15, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusation against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of His will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. So what's our motivation? Why should we submit to the authority? For the Lord's sake. Why should we live honorable lives? For the Lord's sake. Why respect everyone? For the Lord's sake. Why endure suffering? Help me out with this one. For the Lord's sake, right? Why should I submit to those who are in authority? Because it's for the Lord's sake. Peter says, he, being Jesus, is your example. You must follow in his steps. We just read, Peter says, submit to the governing authorities over you. He tells slaves to submit to their masters. Later in the book, he'll tell the young to submit to the old, the wives to submit to their husbands. But stop, note, he doesn't just say blindly submit. He doesn't say submit for the sake of submission. He says submit for the Lord's sake. Now, I had an uncle once who was often heard to say, oh, for Christ's sake. I'm confident that my uncle was not encouraging submission as Peter was, right? 
But as we, as we live as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to remember that all that we say and all that we do, all the choices that we make, we make for the sake of Christ. You see, Jesus' reputation, the reputation of the church, and the reputation of Christianity as a whole is built on and built by us, his followers. I believe that followers of Christ should be known as people who submit to human authority. And while we might not do the best job at it all the time, just like we may not be the best parents or we may not be the best employees, we may not be the best spouses, we may not be the best neighbors, we may not be the best coworkers, we may not be the best citizens, we should strive to be the best that we can in all these ways, including submitting to authority. Why? Because it shows the world who we are and whose we are. Remember last week, Ben reminded us that in Christ, we are chosen people. We are royal priests. We're a holy nation. We're God's very own possession. And as a result, we can show others the goodness of God. For God called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I know this is hard teaching, and some of you might be sitting here thinking, ah, but Virgil, the government, really? Just as we might ask that question, so did Peter's audience, right? Just just as it was problematic for us, it was problematic for them. I like the way one commentator explained it, though. He said, Christians do not submit to authorities because they are good. They submit to authorities because Christ is good. And because Christ is good and we're supposed to follow in his steps, we recognize that when we refuse to submit to the authority, it dishonors Christ, it discredits his very teaching, and it damages his church. You see, when Peter wrote these words, you know, it might have been really easy for his audience to recognize that they're temporary residents here, right? They're just strangers and aliens. They don't really belong to this world. They belong to a heavenly kingdom. They're just passing through. They've got King Jesus. Why would they want to listen to anybody else's rules? Or it could be that since they were being persecuted by an unjust, unfair government, why should we listen to a government that's persecuting it or making it hard on them? Peter said, submit, not because you agree with the government, but submit for the Lord's sake. Now, if we don't know Peter very well, we might think, well, who's he to tell us what to do, right? He's like a, a backseat driver, armchair quarterback, right? He doesn't speak with any experience or authority. Listen, Peter was neither a backseat driver or armchair quarterback. See, Peter knew about submitting to rulers. He knew about submitting to those in authority over them because he learned it from the very best. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should learn it from him too. Matthew chapter 5, we read about this time that Matthew records for us where Jesus is speaking to a great crowd of people up on a mountainside. And with these revolutionary, world-changing words, he says, starting in verse 38, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match, must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. 
If someone slaps you on one cheek, on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. And if you are sued in court, which is a court run and overseen and judged by a ruling human authority, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. He goes on to say, if a soldier who was an employee of the government set out to enforce the laws of the government, right? If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Let me add here, even those, maybe especially those in authority, those who you don't agree with, even those who are unfair to you, even those who persecute you. Verse 45, he says, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Guess what? Peter, the guy that wrote those words that says, submit to the authorities above you, he was there. He learned firsthand from Jesus. So when, Jesus, when Peter says, submit to all human authority, that wasn't original to Peter. He got that from Jesus. He learned it from Jesus. Later on in Matthew chapter 22, we have another one of those authority moments. Starting in verse 15, Matthew records for us in the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he would be arrested, right? Saying something that would go against the government authorities. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You're impartial and you don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? In other words, is it right to submit to human authority? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked whose picture and whose title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar, right? The one with earthly human authority. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Guess what? Peter was there too. Peter witnessed this happen also. So when he said, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, this wasn't original with him. He learned it from Jesus. You see, when we submit to those in authority over us. We are doing it because we are choosing to allow ourselves to look more and more like the image of Christ. And I know a teaching like this prompts a lot of questions. It did for me as I'm wrestling through this. You might be thinking, well, Virgil, what if the law violates my conscience? Right? What if the law or the rule violate my conscience? Not what if it violates my opinion or violates my preference or violates my convenience, but what if literally if I obey this law, I can't even look at myself in the mirror because it violates my conscience so badly to do what I'm being asked? Or what, Virgil, what if the law goes against the law of love? Right? Jesus commanded for us to love our neighbor. What if the law, those that are authority over me, what if they're asking me to do something that violates the very law of love? Remember earlier in the 
teaching, we said that submission doesn't equal agreement. But I don't think that submission always equals obedience either. Let me explain. In Acts chapter 4, this very same Peter who wrote these words, he and John, one of the other apostles, they were arrested for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the court of religious leaders, they commanded them to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter's response and John, they said, Acts 4.19 said, if it is right to listen to you more than to God, will you decide about that? Right? You're the authority. You figure out whether it's right for us to obey you or obey God. For we must tell what we have seen and heard. See, they were rebelling against the authority of those over them. This wasn't a refusal to submit to their authority, to their position, to their ability to make rules and enforce the rules. Right? This court had the authority to have them punished, even to have them killed. And Peter and John weren't saying, no, 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 you guys don't have the authority to do that. They submitted willingly to be obedient to God's authority. And at the same time, were willing to take whatever licks, whatever punishment was going to be handed out by those who he knew and they knew that God had placed in authority. You know, there's one more area of submission that I want to talk about and Perhaps you came in the room today and this is a submission area that is a battle for you. Maybe this is a struggle where you are right now, where it is a determination in your own mind, in your own heart, whether you will submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life or not. You see, there is an epic struggle, struggle going on for your willingness to submit to the Creator and the Savior, to do His will to operate and move and live in his ways. And it's not a hostile takeover that Jesus wants for your life. It is a submission that he's crying out to you for based on an amazing display of love that he poured out for you on the cross and continues to pour out for you. It's born not out of submitting because someone's forcing you or you're trying to please somebody or you're trying to stay out of trouble. It is a submission born out of choosing to give our allegiance to one who gave his life, submitted his life to save us. And if that's where you find yourself this morning, I'd love to have that conversation with you and help you surrender, submit your life to Jesus Christ. I'd be glad to meet up with you back in the corner when we're all done here tonight. But the other, uh, the other fight that's going on, I think, in so many of our minds and hearts right now is that we already are followers of Jesus Christ. We have to figure out, will we continue to follow him in this way? Will we follow the example of Jesus Christ where he submitted his very self in submitting to others? Because that's what he's called us to do for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. What an example you set for us, Jesus. Before your accusers, you were silent. You, you, could have, you could have stopped the process, yet you willingly, as Peter describes, took our sin on you to the cross. For our sake, you submitted to earthly authorities and took our sin for our sake. And you've invited us to join in a relationship with you 
and are equipping us to submit to those in authority over us for your sake. So that others could see, so that others could experience, so that others could recognize who you are and whose we are. Help us to submit, to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.